it felt soul crushing. And it was like, it was very interesting because the day that the news broke that I sold Travel Noir, you get a flood of congratulations, right? It's like, you did this amazing thing. Like you sold your business, you did what every entrepreneur dreams of, blah, blah, blah. But people have to understand that for, and this is how I move now. When I see when I see a business has sold and I know the entrepreneur, it's like immediate powwow. Like, are you okay? What's going on? This Travel Noir was an extension of my identity, right? right? And so a lot of times when we're building these businesses as passion projects uh, and we're, and we, we know the problem that the business solves intimately because it is our own problem that we've dealt with in our own lives. When it comes to selling the business, it's a lot more challenging to decouple yourself from the business because it has so much of you in it, right? right? So it was, it was a challenge. And the 18 months afterwards, when all these things were changing, it was hard. Because I, you know, I'd spent years building this business and pouring my soul and my heart and everything into this business only for it to change and not change in the ways that I would have liked it for it to change, right? And so there was this process that was happening over the 18 months that was it honestly, like I wouldn't be where I am today without that particular process. I was on an interview with a minister not too long ago and he um he said something that i never forget he said you gave up your business and god gave you an empire welcome to the uncensored show with your host george Paul, where we share the mindset tips tools strategies and stories on how to use your money to do more of what you love and what you were called to do Money is like gas on a road trip. Sure, you need it to get where you're going, but you're not going on a tour of gas stations. Money fuels your journey. The question is, what's yours? Live life uncensored. What's going on, guys? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Un censored podcast. And today's guest, uh, it was a really, really fun to catch up over uh, the past 14 years of, of friendship and just really bringing me up to speed on all the things that I've been able to see from afar and you know how that ultimately culminated into the success in the life that she has today. Um, she reminded me about how far we go back by um, reminding me about my outfits back in undergrad <laughs> with my colorful socks uh, and how I used to dress. But uh, today was a really, really fun episode. And she really gave some perspective that I think a lot of uh, business owners and entrepreneurs um, don't quite think about when it comes to um, building a business and what it means to uh, sell or buy businesses. And I think that insight is going to be very helpful um, for people who are trying to grow something significant, but also think about what comes with that territory. In 2013, um, she started Travel Noir, an award-winning boutique travel company. And by the time the brand was acquired in 2017, it reached 2 million travelers each month and sold out of every product it brought to market, building a legion of loyal followers and customers along the way. At 19 years old, she cloned a gene with similarities to a genetic disorder and became the youngest precinct judge for the state of North Carolina. 
Her love for solving tough problems and her knack for building communities on and offline has led her to critical acclaim. This Forbes 30 Under 30 awardee has been featured in New York Times, Time, CBS, This Morning, L, The National, The National, Essence, NPR, and among others, and was awarded by Glamour Magazine as one of 25 young women changing the world. Uh, she currently is the founder and CEO of Italicist, a platform that utilizes computer vision technology to help women discover modest clothing. She also works with her husband to acquire, grow, and sell small online businesses. Guys, you're not going to want to miss this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. You are absolutely in for a treat. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Podcast. And today we have a really special guest, somebody that honestly, if I think back out of everybody I've had on the podcast, including my wife, technically, I haven't known anybody longer than Zim that's been on the show, right? Because we go all the way back to UNCG College. I actually... I was going on Facebook to see if I could find like a throwback picture. I actually found one. I'm gonna- <laughs> did you really? <laughs> I did. I'm gonna you. Um, but yeah, so we go way back and I'm super excited to have Zim on the show. I mean, she's just accomplished so many great things uh, since those days at UNCG so long ago and just delighted to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing good. I think uh, I'm excited for this conversation because I feel like it's uh, long overdue and we've all we've both been doing some really interesting things over the years and um you know I always enjoy a really good conversation y'all must know George was super smart back in the day in college he was always hustling no matter what he was doing you could always find George busy doing something somebody's business doing whatever launching something new um so I'm really excited for this conversation yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's funny. Um, just, just going back and looking at how things ultimately transcended. Because I, I, re- I actually remember it like it was yesterday. And I don't, I don't remember if it was my senior year or what, but I remember like you like telling us, like, like selling all your stuff. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I mean, what, what is she talking about? Because I mean, we're not old, but like back then, entrepreneurship still was not nearly, or just journeying, I don't even think that's what we called it, right? Just following your journey or your path. It just wasn't as common. It was like, no, we're gonna go get this corporate job and we're gonna go get these benefits and we gonna, you know, that's, that was the way. And so when Zen was like, I'm selling all my stuff and I'm like moving abroad, everybody was just like, well, what do you, what do you mean? I kind of was feeling it though. I was like, I don't know what you're doing, but like, I feel you, I'm about to do my thing. I don't know what I'm doing either, but. I feel you. So I just, just to see that and to think what that ultimately evolved into is, is pretty amazing. So, um, so tell us a little bit about the journey, right? Like obviously you're doing a lot of great things now. We'll have an opportunity to unpack some of those specifically, but just tell us a little bit about like your journey um, as an entrepreneur. Is that what you is that what you identify as? You identify as like an entrepreneur or a yeah. or okay. Uh, I definitely do not call myself a visionary. I call myself an entrepreneur. I just, yeah, so entrepreneur, that's it. Um, I, you know, I grew up being a very, like, curious kid. I was always in something new. I was always trying to figure out um, ways to think about the world differently. I grew up in Minnesota. Um, There weren't very many Black kids at all, so I had to 
become very comfortable with being different. Um, and it was interesting because I, um, I grew up in this very like white, small town uh, and people were like, ooh, Zim, Zim, that's such a cool name, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I'm spelling it. I was like, that's cool. That's awesome. Um, but then I moved to North Carolina and I got the complete opposite reaction from folks who looked like me. It was very much a um, like African booty scratcher. This was back in the day when being African was not cool whatsoever. And so we were like, you know, we got the brunt of everybody's jokes. And yeah. so for the longest time, I was like, I ain't African. I'm like, you know, I'm like, like, I'm just, I'm black. That's it. I'm not African. I don't associate with that part of my life. And um, that really, it taught me to be a little bit like a chameleon. So when I got to UNCG, um, which is my alma mater, it was our, our alma mater, mater um, I was always trying to figure out how to do something really interesting. So my freshman year, um, I cloned a jean, George, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember this? Yeah. You cloned a jean? Okay. Well, okay. So I cloned a jean when I was 19 and, um, I was like super active on, um, on campus. Both of us were. And, um, every summer after my freshman year, I took an internship in a different part of the country. So I was working at the National Science Foundation in, um, in DC. I was organizing churches in, uh, San Francisco. And um, uh, I started an organization to open up a civil rights museum and I was doing some anti-tobacco work. So basically I was like doing all the things. Um, and then, you know, like, there, there came a point my senior year, I was a super senior because I was just taking the most random classes <laughs> and I didn't want to leave. Um, but there was an opportunity for me to apply for a fellowship that would um, pay for me to live and work abroad. Um, and so I did that and I got, I ended up getting the fellowship my super senior year. And so here I was, um, I, I guess I kind of like bypassed the, um, that it's not a midlife crisis, whatever your crisis is right after you graduate college, I don't know what it's called, but I like was able to bypass that because I knew exactly what my next step, next step was going to be. It was that I was, you know, uh, going to move to India. So I basically had a sale at my apartment. I put price tags on everything. I left everything as is. And I invited people, George, I don't know if you came that day, but I had, it was like an open house and people could just take whatever they wanted. And, um, and so that was like the beginning of this crazy journey uh, abroad. And um, if I had not moved abroad to India, um, I wouldn't have started Travel Noir. And um, my outlook would have been uh, very different, especially for that company, um, because I was flying from Southern India to Malaysia for $8 a flight. And I was able to go to all of these interesting places and do all of these interesting things for not a lot of money. And I was like, I don't see nobody else who looks like me doing the, these things. Like, wh why aren't we having these kinds of conversations? And that's kind of how Travel Noir was born. But I think Tien would have been a very safe brand had I just uh, like traveled to only where my family was or had I only gone to like, you know, Central South America, the Caribbean. And that was kind of like the extent of my travels. Um, I would travel anywhere that's not war-torn for the most part. And so I think that, that gave Travel Noir a little bit of an edge. 
Um, so that's kind of a little bit of the, of like my uh, background yeah. uh, story, if you will. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another segment of Fix Your Financial Shit. Fix Your Finances Friday, where each and every Friday we help you fix at least one thing as it pertains to your finances. On this particular Friday, what I want you to do is I want you to map out your Christmas budget. So Black Friday is next Friday as of this recording, and you want to go into this holiday season with the game plan and you want to know up front how much you can actually afford to spend so that you don't become a victim of emotional spending. Either you have it or you don't and you make it work with what you have and you go into it with the plan and not just arbitrarily buying up gifts because you want to get gifts for your friends and family. All right. Everybody understands this is a uh, ultra challenging year. So use this year as the year where you actually stick to a budget. Don't go overboard and make sure that you spend mindfully. Nah, that, that was great. And it's like a perfect segue into my, my next question. So, um, so yeah, and I, I remember like that was yesterday too. So like, so here, you know, Zim, you know, runs off into the sunset of where at no, nobody knows, right? At this point, social media is not nearly, I think Twitter maybe is kind of a yeah. thing at that point, but for the most part, Instagram, none of that. Like, and Zim is just, is doing her thing, right? Um, and then I start to see uh, Shabu Noir pop up. And I think I remember when I first saw it, I don't even remember if I knew or connected the dots at first that it was like your brand. I'm like, this is dope. Cause you know, most people say like, oh, no one's doing this or what, but like no one was doing this at this time. This was, I mean, so I can't remember the exact first, the first year. So when was the year you started Travel Noir? Uh, I started Travel Noir in 2013. Yeah, exactly. So I got on Instagram in 2012, right? So when we say nobody was doing this, nobody was doing this, right? So I see this platform like, this is cool. And I'm like, oh, wait, this is Zim. Like, like it's the same. <laughs> so I was really excited. It's like one of those moments where it's like, you know how you're like proud and say like, oh yeah, we, you know, we went to school. Like, I, know, I know the founder. Like I was, I was that guy. I was definitely that guy. But at least I felt good because we actually were friends in college, right? Yeah. But so I saw Noir and I was like, man, this is amazing. And, and so you, you, through your experience of being abroad, that is what kind of led you to uh, creating this platform. And so if you don't mind, share with us, again, at this point, I think anybody who's black and loves to travel knows about Travel Noir, but share with us like just a little bit about like what your original inspiration was and then what it ultimately evolved into. Cause it had just evolved into this whole thing. Um, yeah. Just to know, like, you know, that process. Yeah, yeah. So you know, the, the impetus behind starting TN was like, I'm traveling, I'm doing all these different things. I'm seeing all of these really interesting places. And I would tell my friends and they would be like, you got a $8 flight. Like where do you, was there a seat on the plane? Were there animals <laughs> beside you? Like, how did you get an $8 flight? Or like, oh, nah, that's like too adventurous for me. Or, oh, you went to, you know, Cambodia or you, you know, rode down like whatever. Ah, oh, nah, that's, that's not for me. 
-hmm. And I found that we, people who looked like us, black folks, uh, folks of the African diaspora, we were often the ones that were being traveled to, but not the travelers, mm -hmm. right? So if you picked up a magazine, a travel magazine, we wouldn't be on the cover. We'd be like on the inside, but we'd be like the villagers that people were going to go visit or whatever. And so I thought to myself, I could make this something that is about me and about my travels and about my stories, but I felt like there was something much more powerful about people who wanted to be able to share their own stories. And so it became like this uh, opportunity to allow people to share their own travel stories. Because there's, as a traveler, if you're talking to other travelers, or, or other people that do not travel about your travel experiences, it comes off as brag, like braggadocious. Like, oh, you, you know, cool. Like you went to Mexico city for the weekend, whoopee, right? It, it becomes this like, it almost is like privileged exchange. But if you're talking to another traveler, it feels like just another story. Right. And so I wanted people to be able to have that experience of talking about their travel experiences and not have it be like, oh, like, ooh, you went to Paris for the weekend, like that's crazy. Or have it seem like this, like this really big deal when it, for somebody who travels, it's just kind of their lifestyle or it's just like a way that they live. Obviously knowing that we are privileged to do that, there is a difference in uh, having a conversation with somebody who travels and one who doesn't. Um, and so that's kind of where it started. I wanted to, uh, show people that you could take one vacation, turn it to seven vacations if you wanted to, yeah. and, you know, not have to save for five years to go on one vacation. You could actually get to Dubai or to South Africa or to Bali for really cheap, for $150 round trip. There was a glitch fair, I think a year or so after we started, which is basically an error fair. I think it was 2014, around Christmas. Yeah. And a lot of people bought tickets to Dubai, to Joburg, to Bali, to all these different places for like $120 round trip and had the time of their lives. And so that, that's where the conversation continued to blossom. And we eventually launched um, Travel Noir Experiences, which um, was, uh, we ended up growing it to about 60 trips a year. Wow. And um, this was across five continents. We had local teams in each place. Um, so folks that were born and raised in these places ran our experiences with us. Um, it allowed me to be able to pour into those folks and into those communities without like having an American team in these different contexts. Um, and the premise of these trips was how can we introduce tension into the travel experience so that somebody who arrived on Saturday is a completely different person by the next Friday. And tension within a travel experience often looks like, you know, you losing your luggage or you missing your, your, your train or you having a really challenging conversation or you doing something that's physically strenuous. What does that look like or how could we engineer that into an experience with 14 strangers? And so that's kind of what became our like MO and that's what people knew us as. And so it blossomed from us teaching people how to have these really interesting and unique experiences to being the hosts of these really um, interesting but also challenging 
experiences for Black people in these very different contexts where we were talking about things like race and we were talking about um, like life off the grid and life as a local and people weren't thinking about group synergy in that way, right? A lot of our groups that travel together continue to travel together to this day, right? When you think about group travel, people will just have an itinerary and you'll just get a bunch of people who wanna explore you know, a different place, but we had the added layer of, okay, these people actually wanna be friends in real life. So what does that look like? Um, and then in 2017, um, ended up selling uh, Travel Noir um, and I stayed on um, with the acquiring company for about 18 months and uh, was let go uh, last year. And then, you know, I kind of took some time off, got married, and um, now I'm just, you know, doing a lot of different things that we'll talk about. Um, but yeah, so that's like the the TN journey in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and what a, and what a journey it was to see it to see it from the ground up, and just like knowing that a lot of that. Granted, you were able to transcend that beyond your own experiences, but how it evolved because. You know, the untold story about entrepreneurship that you know probably just as better than anybody now is that when you have the, these visions or these inspirations on what to create, you don't instantly get born with the logistical know-how and, and the infrastructure and operations and teams. And so just to see how not only were you able to do that internally for your own company, but then have boots on the ground in these other ecosystems and communities and be able to support them that's me as a business person. I understand that that's a huge feat in, of, in and of itself. Yeah. And so just, I tip my hat to you in that regard. And so um, speaking about selling uh, the business, right? So I guess my first question is, and we'll transcend to uh, another part of the conversation where you share with me that actually being a part of what you do now, but like when it came to the point where you said, you know what, I built this phenomenal thing and I'm okay with the idea of selling it. So how, like, number one, how did you arrive at that, right? Because most people in our communities, like a lot of businesses that we build are either passion projects that bloom into businesses or uh, are, biz- are entrepreneurship by necessity, right? And so like, how, do you, how did you arrive at that point where it was like, you know what? Like I built this thing and I'm, and I'm okay selling it. And what did that ultimately feel like when the process was done? Well, it felt soul crushing. And it was like, it was very interesting because the day that the news broke that I sold Travel Noir, you get a flood of congratulations, right? It's like, you did this amazing thing. Like you sold your business, you did what every entrepreneur dreams of, blah, blah, blah. But people have to understand that for, and this is how I move now. When I see when I see a business has sold and I know the entrepreneur, it's like immediate powwow. Like, are you okay? What's going on? This Travel Noir was an extension of my identity, right? right? And so a lot of times when we're building these businesses as passion projects uh, and we're, and we, we know the problem that the business solves intimately because it is our own problem that we've dealt with in our own lives. When it comes to selling the business, it's a lot more challenging to decouple yourself from the business because it has so much of you in it, right? right? So it was, it was a challenge. And the 18 months afterwards, when all these things were changing, it was hard because I, you know, I'd spent years 
building this business and pouring my soul and my heart and everything into this business only for it to change and not change in the ways that I would have liked it for it to change, right? And so there was this process that was happening over the 18 months that was, it honestly, like I wouldn't be where I am today without that particular process. I was on an interview with a minister not too long ago and he, um, he said something that I'd never forget. He said, you gave up your business and God gave you an empire. And I think about where I am now and the fact that I have six businesses, soon to be seven businesses, where would I be if I held on to Travel Noir? I wouldn't be where I am now in the position that I'm in. And so, you know, when it came to selling, I was, um, it was, it was almost like a crisis of the soul, right? Like when I, when I think about everything that I do, it's, it's very much through a lens of my own spirituality and my relationship with God. And so I got to a point where, you know, there were, there was like um, a turning point in the business and I could have either, you know, raise some additional capital to allow us to like weather this storm, or I could have like buckled down and figured something else out, or I could have sold the business. And I was at a conference at the time in uh, the Midwest somewhere. It was either St. Louis or Indianapolis. And um, the there was a preacher that was talking about how he was consecrated to, to basketball. He was on track to be um, an MBA, like superstar basically. But the call that he had on his life was to be a minister. Mm -hmm. And he was he was, he had, he was at this point where he was wrestling with God and he was saying, you know what, I'm just going to be an NBA star. And then afterwards, then I'll like do this thing. Um, yeah. But he ended up saying, you know, when you think about success in, in the way that society sees it, it's very much how much money you have, how many cars, you know, you have like what's in your bank account, et cetera. But when you think about biblical success, it has a lot to do with sacrifice and giving something up. And so I knew then that I didn't want to be known as the travel girl anymore. I wanted to be known as somebody who would um, and who could impact eternity. And so that was a very real like crisis of the soul moment because my team didn't understand like they're, they were like, whatever, like, what are you talking about basically? Right. And so I had to like whether this very real like crisis, like internal crisis on my own. Um, and it was a challenge. So, you know, when all was said and done and the papers were signed and everybody was like congratulating me left and right, it was just kind of like, I don't feel like celebrating. Like I, like, yeah, it was, it's cool, but also, mm, I'm grieving. So the 18 months after that was literally like a grieving process. It was really, really challenging. And so now these days when I see, you know, other entrepreneurs who are selling, I always stop and do a double take because I know what it feels like now versus it being like the pinnacle of somebody's success, which is that you sold a business. And now going into my other businesses, I'm like, how can I decouple who I am and my own identity from this particular business, which is separate, right? Um, and so that's kind of what that process 
looked and uh, felt like. No, that, make, that makes a ton of sense. And I'm, I'm glad that you were able to share that because I think that a lot of people, you know, even myself for, for a very long time, you know, we don't come from the space of understanding, like some people least set out to build a business to sell, right? That wasn't your path. That's certainly not my path. And now I'm at a space, a similar space, right? Where it's like, like I literally had a conversation yesterday about selling off a certain block of my, of my business. And it, what's wild about it is that you talk about like this wrestling with the soul. And it's like, for me, it's like, it's weird because my business is as, is as successful as it's ever been. But I know that what I'm supposed to be doing is kind of aligning in a different space, right? And so it's just like wrestling with that because it's like on paper, like this is, this makes sense. Like, why would you step away from this? Why would you not like continue to grow this into this behemoth of a thing? Right. No, you're being called in a different direction. It's like honoring that call. And it's an interesting space, right? It's a very interesting space. Very much so. Um, But no, so... Um, which is a good segue to the next point that we offline you mentioned uh, that you and your husband uh, now kind of like buy and grow and sell other small businesses. Is that is that what you guys are doing? So is what did the travel to our experience kind of like equip you for that? Is it something that you set out to do after that? Like, how did you come into yeah. this space of uh, that being a core part of what you do? Yeah. So after I sold uh, Travel Noir um, in the spring of last year, so like actually it was like late, like in the winter, January, February, I was looking at um, purchasing, like buying another investment property. So my husband and I also have investment properties. And I was like, well, I could buy another property or I could buy a business. Now I had never purchased a business before, didn't know the ins and outs of it. I had just sold a business, right? So I knew that part. And so I started looking around and I started searching for different businesses that I liked, businesses that had some kind of uh, defensibility that had um, uh, like operational efficiencies, things like that. And ended up on the day that I found out that I was being let go, we had closed uh, the transaction to acquire a business in Seoul, South Korea. So we were in Seoul at the time and, you know, had never done an international acquisition before. My legal team was just kind of like, okay. And I was like, this is a great business. This is, you know, this business checks out on paper. It has done very well financially. The owner is just ready to move on and, you know, really cares about who the uh, buyer is and and how the buyer is going to keep the brand and move it forward. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of started it. Um, And so we bought the business back in April, um, ran it, obviously are continuing to run it. And, you know, I thought to myself, this is, this is interesting. There are people who are running uh, like micro, they call them micro PE firms, like micro private equity, Mm -hmm. but um, 
PE not in the term. So when you think about traditional private equity, they'll buy a business and like ruthlessly cut all the costs. They'll fire the staff. They'll like basically do everything to, to bring those profit margins up. Um, right. But in our case, we were thinking about acquiring businesses for passive income that we that we may you know sell in the future. So for example, um, you know there are businesses. Um, that are doing, you know, six figures. So they're doing maybe 10 to 15 K per month. And the owner is just like fine with leaving it at that. They don't, they're not on the venture path. They're not trying to grow it super wildly. Um, but we would acquire businesses like that and use the, like the, the profit that we earn from that either to invest in other businesses or to support our own lifestyle. And so that became the the new mission. Like, how can we build a a, a brand of brands, so to speak, um, that allowed us to be able to move freely to focus on things like ministry or you know whatever, and and also at the same time, being that I was so public facing with travel noir, I really enjoyed the idea of having what I like to call hush money, yeah. right? Like where no people know that you do these things. They don't know what, like, they don't know what the business is. They don't know, they like, there's this, uh, I mean, you know this, cancel culture, right? People are like, oh, you did something wrong. Let's like boycott X, Y, and Z and this, that, and the third. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I think what people don't realize is that once you get to a certain level in terms of revenue or, or whatever you have, the conversation about how you earn money turns into how you protect your money. So then you start you start thinking about, all right, I have these businesses that live under this particular holding company. Nobody knows about these particular companies because they're named like, I don't know, like XYZ Incorporated or like whatever, right? Like people have these 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 different businesses um, that folks don't know about, and I was intrigued by that, and I and I loved that because I have other businesses that are public facing, but then a lot of other businesses that nobody really knows about, and I and I love the autonomy and the freedom that has come from being private in that way. Love that. So, I mean, that's something that's very intriguing to me. And actually, I probably will have a conversation with you offline. I've ventured into the, the space of, of investing in startups, right? But obviously, we know the startup path is like, I'm hoping for out of the, the five, that maybe one to two, I, I yeah. get a really nice exit, right? But I'm now, ironically, at the, at the point where I was like, you know what? I'm sitting on a decent amount of cash, would love to, outside of my stock investments, real estate stuff, to love to, you know, like to your point, buy some businesses, but I'm now trying to research and understand what that process even looks like, right? And so my question to you is, how did you even know, or how did you begin to know, like what to look for when it came to buying a business? That's a two-part question. And then the second part is, um, can an everyday person, right, can they think about venturing into something like this and what would that look like for them? Yeah. I'm going to answer the second question first. Um, so I, I actually had a friend, she's an entrepreneur. She bought a business for $3,000. And this seller was like, literally like, I'm trying to get, was a week away from like pulling their site off of whatever, like uh, 
like website to sell their businesses. They were like done. They were going to shut the business down. She bought it for 3K. That business now does, maybe it does like three to 5K, maybe 6K per month now. And she's working it up to, to be a seven figure business. But the reality is, is that with $3,000 for you to be able to buy an asset that can give back to you in that way, it's, it's easy, right? So you have folks that are purchasing um, businesses that they're financing, right? So sellers will uh, sell you their business, but you don't have to pay them all of the cash upfront, right? Like you can sell or finance things. So for the uh, for one of the businesses that we purchased, we paid half upfront and we paid the rest over six months. Um, and so there are like a lot of different configurations, but the everyday person who is, uh, who knows business, I think that's a caveat too, right? Like if you are not willing to know and understand business, then acquiring a business is not going to help because you're just going to run it to the ground. If you don't have common, like if you don't, understand like basic business principles is going to be really hard for you to take what somebody has built over five years and grow that. So that is a caveat for folks. But if you're willing to learn, um, then it's for anybody. In terms of like how I figured out like how to find these businesses and what to look for, it was a lot of research. I didn't even know this was like a thing at all. I just, I knew that there were people who were selling their businesses. So for example, boomers are retiring now and they've been sitting on these businesses for like, who knows how long, 20 years, 30 years or whatever. They've gone through an online transformation of sorts and they're looking to retire. But some of them that are looking to retire are not interested. Some of them want lump sums up front, but other people just want a paycheck and they don't want to have to worry about right. um, like running the business anymore. So they're fine if you, for example, let's say there's a business for selling for $300,000 mm -hmm. and the owner is like burned out. They're like ready to get out. That business, let's say make, my math is not correct for all those mathematicians out there, but yeah. let's say they're making $20,000 a month. You can buy that business and you can say, hey, we'll put this amount down and we're going to pay you a percentage of the cash flow every month. So you know that let's say they make 20K a month, but it's 10K profit. You're going to pay the seller, you know, 7K, for example, um, until you pay out the amount that you, you know, that you guys have agreed upon for the purchase price. And so then it becomes like a math game. Like, how are you going to structure this particular deal? Um, I personally love online businesses, but we've been looking into laundromats. We've been looking into storage facilities um, because those are things that are defensible, especially during a downturn, right? Well, like there, people are always going to go to the laundromat and they're always going to need some kind of storage. Um, so those are like just some considerations that I think about when I think about uh, or how I learned about um, acquiring these businesses or thinking about how to take maybe some cash that I'm sitting on and invest in, in a new asset class. Right. Now, I love that. And, I, and I'm just I'm, I'm equally excited about the fact that I think in general, um, 
I feel like our culture as a whole is starting to wrap their head around more of just, you know, building wealth. And again, that's been my mission for, for the better part of the last 10 years. And I'm, I'm glad to see that, you know, folks are really uh, taking a liking to this because to your, I think what I like most about your message is you're acquiring these businesses, not just to be this business boss, right? You're acquiring because it's going to liberate you to be able to do the things that, you know, you want to do, right? Um, I read this book one time and it said, you know, delegate or outsource everything that you can so that you can spend most of your time doing the things that you can outsource, right? Yeah. I I can't delegate date night. Nor nor do I want to. I can't delegate going to the gym. Uh, There's a lot of things I can't delegate. I can't delegate spending quality time with people I love. And so if I can be more strategic with about how I position my assets, right? It's not about becoming this big grand business person who everybody knows for owning all these things. It's so I can leverage those assets to buy back my time. Because for me, wealth and freedom are synonymous. Yeah. Right. And if I'm not free. I'm not wealthy. So, yeah. You know, and that's just the there way. Was a, um, there was a, somebody had posted something on Twitter. And I think the question was like, how do you know when you're wealthy? And uh, the, somebody's response was, when you can say whatever you want without fear of like repercussion. 100%. Or not repercussion, but like worrying about your money. So there are some folks that, if they, they can't say whatever they want because maybe they have a television, like a show or like whatever they have. And if they say something offensive, somebody literally just is like, well, cut off this check or oh, cut off this or cut off whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was a really uh, intriguing quote. I, I, and I agree with it because because at that point it becomes less about how much you have and more about how much of what you have is tied to these sources that control you, right? Because if I could, you know, have a multi six figure or low seven figure net worth, but I can say and do whatever I want because I'm in control of it versus someone who's an NBA player or whatever, they have a $20 million, you know, uh, salary that they get from, from the NBA, but if something goes wrong and then they can cancel it overnight, yeah. I'm technically more free than them. Over the last decade, I have been an entrepreneur and a financial advisor, which has given me an incredible amount of unique insight to know exactly what it takes to not only grow a business, but to also properly run your financials. I've also learned that most entrepreneurs do not desire to do that stuff. They want to focus on the thing that they're uniquely called to do, not number crunching. And that's why my firm, Capital Wise, has partnered with entrepreneurs, tech founders, and public figures to help you own your business instead of running your business. So if understanding how to allocate every single dollar that flows through your business so that you can grow and sustain successfully and be profitable sounds like something you're interested in, if never having to worry about how much you should be allocating for taxes is something that you're interested in, or if just knowing that you can make data-driven decisions from the financial numbers of your business so that you can make the right moves sounds like something you'd be interested in, then I strongly encourage you to click the link in the show notes to learn more about our service and how we partner with you to help you own your business instead of running it. You know, I, I also think about like Luol Deng, for example, who, 
you know, obviously everybody knows Luol was a NBA player. He's retired then, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think. Yes, I think he's retired. Anyway, yeah. so Luol, uh, you know, NBA player, made a lot of money, but he took that money and started investing in real estate. And there's a there are a couple articles out there about his story from being an MBA like player to now this real estate mogul. He has hundreds of millions of dollars under his purview in real estate. And so it's a it's a matter of like there's some folks that will take the money that they earn and they'll buy you know the things that they've always wanted. So they'll buy the Lamborghini or they'll buy the you know the X, Y, and Z, which is fine. You know, I'm I'm not out here criticizing anybody's money choices because it's you know, it's what they do. But I, I, but I also think that there, there is a conversation that should happen around making your money work for you, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're taking a portion of the money that you're earning and you are buying an asset that will then give you more money over time, it's, it's literally just a game in that taking the profits and investing it in something that will pay you back and then taking those profits and doing the same thing over and over and over again. Um, and, and that's something that I'm really excited that people are, that they're interested in, right? It's not enough to make money that you know, you'll get taxed on anyway if you don't do anything with it. There's a, there is a friend that I have who um, just likes to see money in her bank account which, you know, there are some folks that just like to see the money in their bank account. It's not invested. It's literally just in a checking account. But the reality is, and you know this, is that you're losing money every year due to inflation, right? So if you're taking that money and investing in something that essentially beats inflation, um, you end up earning more money. And so the conversation that I think we need to have is how to continue to invest in assets that work even when we're not working. Facts, 100%. It's, it's, it's yeah. the nail on the head. It's like, you know, when you take the, the earned income that you receive, you need to, I think the quote I heard that I like is, is get money and buy income, right? Mm-hmm. Because if yeah. I take the money that I earn and then I go park it in real estate or I go buy this business or I like, I'm essentially what I'm doing is I'm buying income by placing that money in. Mm. I don't have to go trade my time for again. Right. Time if I do it the right way, right? right. Obviously, not selling the illusion that, you know, like you said, the business that you buy, right? Obviously, there's a, a level of, of effort that goes into getting it to the next level and continuing to make sure that that cash flow is produced. But at the same token, when you do that, it's so much better than okay, I just go went to go buy the Lamborghini. I'll never see that 200,000 again. Right. Like yeah. I actually, I want to go broke investing. You know, that's my whole yeah. thing. I like, you know, you see those little memes. It's like savings account, investment account, checking account. And that's how I feel. Like literally yeah. when that money is invested, like it's invested. Like it's yeah. not, it's not my money, but if it's in the checking account, then you might be more inclined to think that you could do something with it. Yeah. So I, I just really think that that's a conversation that needs to be furthered. I'm glad to see that someone like yourself is uh is making those those moves behind the scenes it's always always refreshing so let's talk a little bit about your your current company um outside of you being a business mogul and buying up all these businesses oh gosh um you know zim might be my business buying mentor i'm I'm, I'm gonna afford her but we'll figure it out oh stop it 
Um, so. Tell us a little bit about your current business. Uh, yeah. Am I reading this correctly? Analysis. Italicis, yes. Italicis, like italic, but like assist, italicis. So um, yeah, I am a modest dresser. Uh, which basically means that I like clothes that just cover me up the way that I want to be covered. Um, and I noticed that there was a gap in the market. So one thing that you'll notice about me is when I start a business or a public facing business, and I didn't realize this until I started this company, was that I like niche brands. So Travel Noir, when it started, Black travel was like not really a thing, right? It was just like, I searched black travel and I saw black travel suitcases. Like it was just not a thing. So when I think about modest fashion, the industry is there, it's huge, it's $400 billion, but nobody's really addressing it on this side of the world. And so what I wanted to do was I, I wanted to create something that allowed women who dress modestly the ability to find what they want quicker. So they tell us what they can and can't wear. So they might say, I can only wear a crew neck top or I can only wear sleeves that are below a certain length. And then we work with dozens of brands to essentially filter out the items that they deem immodest. So all that they see is everything that they can shop. And so we do that using computer vision technology. Um, and so it then becomes this like equal playing field. So for example, if I go into uh, anthropology or from shopping online, mm -hmm. a lot of times I can only wear 10 to 20% of what I see because maybe the dress is too short or the back is out or I have to like also buy a blazer to cover it up or I also have to do X, Y, and Z. But what does it look like if I, as a modest dresser, can shop 100% of what I see? And so that's the company that we're building and it has a lot of applications for folks who are looking for more conservative items to wear. Maybe they're looking for, uh, maybe that's just how they dress because they're comfortable with it. It doesn't have anything to do with their faith preference. Um, and then you have other folks that are um, of, you know, some kind of faith where, you know, it requires them to cover up. And so, um, so yeah, so that's what I'm working on. It's really, it's, it's exciting. It's near and dear to my heart. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's um, something that I'm going to bootstrap. I've thought about raising capital for it. But to be honest, I like the freedom of being able to work on my own like time frame and do basically do what I want. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's, that's currently what I'm working on in addition to uh, some of these other businesses that I manage. Exciting, exciting stuff. Um, so you are just crushing it and doing oh, the gosh. I'm You know, so it's, it's, uh, it, it, I'm blessed. And, you know, earlier this year, so my husband and I, we um, got sick with COVID in March. And so that meant oh, that the first yeah. half of the year, yeah, the first half of the year was like a wash because I, my COVID affected my body in such a way where like I was having like heartburn, like crazy, crazy heartburn and like a lot of other things that I couldn't really work the way that I, mm -hmm. you know, was used to. And so I just had to take it easy. And then the second half of the year has, you know, picked up in such a way where I'm like, wait a minute, hold on, slow down. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a blessing. And so to be able to work on this like public facing business while also working on scaling up a lot of these like private smaller brands is, um, 
is real is really interesting too. Love it, love it. Um, so as you've mentioned um, throughout the podcast a few times, you are a woman of faith, and obviously that plays a large factor, probably primary factor in your decision making, what you decide to do. And so, in faith is also akin to like how the comfort level in which people feel when it comes to making decisions. So my question is when it comes to making these big decisions and when you think about people who are listening to this podcast and they're like, man, like I I love the things that she's, she's been able to do. And I find myself at an inflection point where I want to step out on faith. What, what advice would you have for that person who's on the cusp? They're listening to this podcast and it's like, either they, want to go in a completely different direction than what they're doing right now, or they have an idea and it's like, I want to try it out, but I just don't know. I don't have the confidence. Yeah. Like, what would you share with them? Yeah. Um, you know, I have a lot of faith. I feel like I have a lot of faith and I trust that wherever I go, God is always with me. But a lot of times I, and a lot of, a lot of times I also, do it scared. So if I, if I don't know what's ahead of me, um, I still take the first step knowing that I have a partner beside me who, who is, is watching out for, for, for things that are like on the horizon, dangers, just things that I might not see. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of time people always call me super risky. So my husband is very calculated. He is like, slow to make decisions. He'll, he'll send me links to stuff. Like he sent me the other day, uh, a link to a course. And he was like, Hey babe, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And I bought it for him. I was like, yeah, this is, this is great. Like, sure. Just, just take it. And I oftentimes am very quick to make decisions because either I feel a lot of peace about them, which is a fruit of the spirit, or I know that everything is gonna be okay. Um, And so I move through life in the same way, right? A lot of these big decisions, I don't make them without praying about it or without, you know, talking to my spiritual authority. And at the end of the day, like if I wanted to, I could just do what I want, right? But that's not who I am and that's not who God has called any of us to be. And so I, I really take pride in the process of being submitted to the process. And I could have at any time during that, those 18 months that I was transitioning after I sold the business, just been like, deuces, I'm leaving. I'm just, it's done. I'm like, it's, I'm over it. But I didn't. I said, God, that there's something that here that you have to teach me and I'll stay here for as long as you need me to. About eight months before I was let go, um, God essentially brought somebody in my life who told me that I was gonna be let go. And I was so uh, hurt and I was so, um, (laughs) a lot of things, but I was just kind of like, okay, I have eight months now to prepare for like, I don't know when this is going to happen. I don't know, you know, whatever. And I ended up my last day, I was traveling in Israel. And so there was a lot of like, a lot of feelings that have gone into starting over or doing something new or 
um, going through a new beginning of some sort. There are so many that we'll have in our life, no matter what, like if you have kids, there, that was a new beginning. If you started a new job, if you started a new business, there is always going to be a new beginning. Um, right. And when I, uh, when I'm facing a new beginning, I always go into it knowing, you know what, God has got my back, no matter what I do, everything that he has promised me that I know um, will come to pass. I just have to be obedient and I have to be submitted to the process. So a lot of these things, I just, I, I do it scared, um, but I also, and that's, you know, me and my flesh talking, but I, but I know that he has got my back. So if there's anybody who is kind of like in the process of doing something new or moving to a new city or uh, trying something new, starting a new business, closing a business down, um, just know that God has something very special for you. When I sold Travel Noir, I, um, I held on to the scripture, John chapter 15, and it talks about God being the true vine and that he prunes the things that even um, bear fruit so that they may bear fruit more abundantly. So Travel Noir wasn't inherently bad, right? But it was something that God pruned so that something more abundant could grow in its place. So I think about Travel Noir as one business, and I think about the abundantly part of that scripture as all of these other businesses that I have, and one could not exist without the other. So just knowing that, you know, you may be getting rid of one thing, but there is another thing that's coming that is much more abundant. And I think that's the part that I think a lot of people miss because we think everything is so black and white, right? It's like, I move on because it's bad, right? Like I failed or I quit or it was miserable and that's why I moved on. And so when you can't delineate between the reality that you could very well be in a situation where something is publicly or, you know, worldly successful, but it no longer yeah. for you based upon what right. you're doing, I think that, is the challenging part. And so the, the question that comes to mind is like, how do you discern the difference between like resilience of like, I need to keep pushing forward in this or resistance yeah. from, you know what I mean? Like, how, how do you discern that? Oh, that I feel like that is a, it, it's something that comes with time. Um, yeah. And at least for me, it's like the it, trying to figure out whether or not to hold on or whether or not to let go, right? Like that is always the tension that exists, even as even as believers. But I knew that it was time to go when I felt like I didn't have the grace to do it anymore, right? So. Running Travel Noir for me was pretty easy. Like I loved it, I enjoyed it. There were some challenges obviously that you have as a business owner, mm -hmm. but there was a noticeable shift when things got hard, like towards the end, where I felt like I didn't have the grace to do it anymore. Like it just was like very hard and very strenuous and very arduous. And I felt like, there was some kind of turning point. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know where it was coming from, but I, I felt a shift happen. And I also 
knew that I was starting to like distance myself from the outcome, right? Like I, I said to myself, okay, well, if I, if I sold this business, but I did it as a sacrifice, what could that possibly look like, right? Like if I sacrificed this particular business because I was pursuing God, what would that, or what could that possibly look like? And I had a lot of peace about it. I knew that the sacrifice that I had given unto God was something that he would, um, he would honor. And I had a lot of peace in that. And I think that people are so used to there being dysfunction in every decision. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't really know what true peace feels like. Yeah. And in, in all of these like different decisions where I've had to hold on or let go or do X, Y, and Z, I felt a lot of peace in some of these different processes. And where I didn't feel peace, I knew that I had to either stop and take a second look or it wasn't time to move on. Makes sense. No, that's powerful. That's extremely powerful. And as we get close to wrapping up here, um, tell us about this book, right? On top of all the great things we talked about, you have a book coming out in what, three weeks? In three weeks. So December 8th. Yeah. So I have a book, it's called Dare to Bloom. And it was born out of my time. It was, it was born out of a time right after I sold Travel Noir um and during those 18 months the things that god was teaching me about letting go and holding on and most importantly who i was i think a lot of times we place our identity in the money that we have and the homes that we have and the jobs that we have and the places that we live in other people but from a foundational perspective i had to learn that God is the source of my own identity and, and that will never change. My identity is always safe with him whenever all of these things are changing or whenever I feel like I'm not worthy enough because I sold my company before I thought I was going to sell it or maybe, uh, you know, when I was running this other company, I wasn't making as much money as I, as I thought that I could make. I feel a little bit of a ding in my own identity. Like maybe I'm not a worthy enough entrepreneur because I'm not making as much as this next person. I learned that my identity is found in God alone. And so it took me so long to, to figure that out because I, you know, you have all these people who are like, oh my gosh, you sold a company. That's amazing. You do X, Y, and Z. Like you're an amazing entrepreneur. You're a visionary or you're X, Y, and Z. And people get caught up in that stuff. If you will really get caught up in these titles and when those things go away, then what? Mm -hmm. So the premise of the book is who are you when the things that you've identified yourself with is no longer there? And when your successful business isn't with you anymore, who are you? When those friends that have been with you all that time go away, who are you? And it came, you know, it was born out of a, like a very lonely season in my life. But I, it, it's the book that I wish that I had when I was going through this transition period. And it's, it's all about endings and new beginnings and finding your identity where it matters most powerful powerful thank you for sharing i'll, I'll be reading it Yay! come on george come on i'll probably i'll probably grab two and then like do the whole if you leave a review yeah i'm that guy 
and I'll give or do a giveaway. <laughs> awesome. Um, awesome. And yeah. the question, I'll let you go. Thanks so much. This is a, I mean, again, this is, I feel like this was a conversation that people got the opportunity to listen to, but ultimately yeah. got a chance to catch up. So, and those typically are the best podcasts. And so I'm just very grateful for you carving out some time for us to catch up. Likewise. Um, my last question to you, um, of course, the name of my podcast is The Uncensored Show. And so my question is, what does living life uncensored mean to you? Hmm. So living life uncensored. Um, for me, it means uh, being bold and standing up for what you believe in, right? So a lot of times I think about things that I'm going to say mm -hmm. and how people might receive them. Or, you know, if I say one thing and offend one person, how does that reflect on me? Yeah. But at the end of the day, the reality that I, I mean, I'm a people pleaser. That's like who I am. I, I, I love when people love me and I don't like when people don't like me. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I am pleasing an audience of one and that's God. And so if I'm living life uncensored, it means that every single thing in my life is done in a way that pleases God and not people. And it's something that I have to constantly remind myself about, right? Like I'm not coddling, you know, my followers or people, you know, on the email list or like whatever. I'm not doing that. I'm pleasing an audience of one. And I think a lot of why I am so adamant about like hush money and like really building up these things to support us as we, um, as we continue to do whatever it is that God needs us to do is that we have the financial freedom to do and say things that please God, but might, you know, offend others. And we don't, I, you know, I don't say anything purposefully to offend people. I'm not like walking around offending folks left and right. But at the end of the day, I think that when you are afraid of like perhaps maybe a financial ramification of like something that you say that might not be PC or like whatever, you you move a little bit differently, mm -hmm. right? And then you also move differently when you are not worried about any, you know, financial ramifications. Yeah. Um, so that's what I think about when I think about living uncensored. I love that. And, and what it reminds me of is that it, people should really re realign their North Star for why they're doing what they're doing, right? Because when you're doing what you're doing from a place of, I'm doing this because of the freedom that it will provide or what or how it will allow me to show up, then you can kind of detach from some of the worldly things or monikers of success, right? It's like, okay, or I can commit and submit to the sacrifice more yeah. because of, of what it represents. I think oftentimes we, we give ourselves too much credit to think that we're just gonna be able to wake up and always just remember like why we do what we do. And I think you have to be ultra intentional about that so that yeah. you can make the hard decisions, take the profit and reinvest it and not go by the Lambo, right? Because it reminds you of what you're really doing it for. And that's what I took away from that. It's like, yeah. sure, you could have taken one of the many checks you've gotten from the different things that you've done and do like everybody does on Instagram, right? And then yeah. buy yeah. buy this and then sell the course because I got this, right? Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. anybody, right? But um, 
but I just, I love the mentality. And I think the more our people or just people in general can wrap their head around, like I am pursuing freedom. I'm pursuing yeah. my ability to, in defining what freedom means for you. And then I'm also right. pursuing my ability to show up authentically. And that's right. why I'm making these decisions. Right, right, absolutely. I have, I have this, this theory that no one is able, no one has ever truly made decisions that are in their best interest until they are marching towards freedom. Because mostly everything that you're deciding on is relative to your circumstance, right? You're making the best decision that you can make relative to your circumstance. Right. And so yeah. it's not until you get free or are in the process of pursuing that, that you can start to even identify what decisions that are truly in alignment with your, you know, what matters most to you. So. Yeah, absolutely. That That's, that's so true. And I, and I think that this year I was giving a, a talk not too long ago about how side hustles, if you think about it, now that everybody's for the most part working remotely and we only, let's say, have three to four of hours of productive work time for our jobs, you can take that additional time and work on, you know, this particular like side hustle or, or whatever and, and whatever you earn continue to to reinvest that and I think there is a renewed conversation about what that means right it's not just spending money mm -hmm. right like what can you do with that extra money to earn extra money um and and I want folks to to really think about their own circumstance and their own money by the way one thing that I also think a lot about is budgeting I hate budgets I mean, that sounds very counterintuitive, but I'm like, I just be spending. And my husband is always very much getting on my case about everything. And I'm like, listen, if we spend this money and you're like, oh, we had this amount do like whatever in this particular bucket, I'm always just like, okay, let's figure out a way to make more money. And so it's, it's like a different, and maybe this is like another conversation to have, but there are a lot of uh, different like money things that we carry around with us that we have to sit with and unpack and, and do all of these different things and all of that to say I love um, the conversations that are happening around investing and alternative assets and I invest through um, Otis I don't know if you've ever heard of Otis but they basically do fractional ownership of cultural assets oh, wow. so my husband and, and I bought um, you know, I, I don't remember how many shares of Banksy, right? There was a Banksy piece that was for sale or we would buy like, you know, certain shares of like a pair of Jordans that Michael Jordan wore in like 1992 or like whatever. And it's fractional ownership that you can then trade on their like proprietary like market. So like different things like that and really figuring out um, ways to, to grow your like investment pool yeah. It's a conversation that I think we all should be having. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Well, and it's a conversation that I could have so I'm blue in the face. So I'm going to let you go today. And if not, <laughs> I'm talking for another hour, but always welcome to, to have you back or just to catch up again, because this was extremely uh, phenomenal and insightful. Um, like I always say, for me, podcasts are kind of selfish because I, I get to have people that I want to have great conversations with. And I actually oftentimes get a lot of takeaways too. So thank you for your wisdom. Um, such a, a pleasure um, to just watch how much you've bloomed and blossomed 
uh, over the past. I mean, just a rough map here. What, 2005 ish? Whoa, like 15 years? Are you, are you, yeah. you're, you're, when did you, when did you graduate? I, yeah. so I, I came in in 2006. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 14, 14 years. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. Wow. <laughs> Y'all must know before we go that George used to be super matching. Like, you know, the folks that used to wear the matching socks with the matching polos. George yeah, was, was that person with the Argyle socks. Yes. That was George. That was me. That was me. That was I, you. Colorful. I can't lie. I can't lie. That was me. Through it through. through, through. The, the good old days of USCG. That's right. That's um, right. But, uh, I hope you have a great rest of the evening. And thanks so much for the, the gems and the value. And again, like I said, the catch up. And until next time. Until next time. Thank you for tuning in to an episode of the Uncensored Show. Take at least one thing you heard today and apply it to your life immediately so that you can become one step closer to living a more meaningful and fulfilling life and aligning your resources to what matters most to you. Remember, money is just a resource to fuel your journey. The question is, what's yours?